Father. God, as we, as we gather together, we know it's the middle of Christmas season and uh, we're all happy and joyful as we do Christmas shopping, whatever it is we have going on. But God, we want to turn our eyes to you and not just to Christmas season. We, we want to remember why you came and what it is that you were doing. And we want to be in awe. God, we want to be in awe and adoration of the fact that you would do something so radical and amazing that you would come down in the form of a baby to die for men, women, and children that some of us didn't even exist yet, God. We, we needed a Savior, and you were kind and compassionate to us. And So, God, I pray we wouldn't get over that. And God, I also pray for us as a people as we continue to worship by looking at your word. God, I'm, I'm asking you would free us to worship freely as we encounter you through your word. I'm, would you help me to teach? God, I'm asking, would you help all of us to listen? And God, we're praying that you'd be glorified here today by the way we've gathered together. God, we pray that all... All right, you, you may be seated. If you're visiting today, uh, we're glad you've joined us. My name is Fayez Ayub. I'm the lead pastor here at North Florida Baptist Church. Um, and so, yeah, we're, we're glad that all of you are here. If you are visiting, I would love to get a chance to meet you after the service. I'll be down front right over here to my left, your right, and I would love to get to say hey real quick and just meet anyone that's visiting today. Uh, we, we know it's uh, difficult to come to a place you've never been to before, so we're glad you would give us a chance and uh, come visit us. I'd just love to get a chance to meet you. Now, now we're uh, continuing a, a Christmas series, so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1. So you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. <clears throat> and um, as you're turning there, um, I, I just want to let you know uh, one of the things that's been going on my, in my mind this morning, this morning I spent uh, quiet time in Ezekiel. Now, I don't know if you've ever read Ezekiel before, but uh, listen, Ezekiel is a shocking book, all right? Uh, I'm assuming most of you have never read this book, but it is, it is absolutely shocking. But one of the things that stood out to me as I was um, reading it this morning, this is not part of my sermon, I just felt like sharing it. The thing that stood out to me was uh, how much God wanted his people to be able to worship him and walk with him, and adore him. And, and his people were deeply broken. Uh, in the book of Ezekiel, God's gotten really upset at Israel, and they're not listening. And he says, no matter what I've done, you've rejected me, and you've walked away. And he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you another chance. I'm going to bring you back to me, and I'm going to give you a new heart. And one day I'm going to change you so that you can actually worship me, and you can actually walk with me. And right now you're just not able to. And I started thinking through all that, especially in light of Christmas, that Jesus came so that he would bring us back to the Father, that he would give us a new heart and help us fight sin, that he would fight our brokenness, that he would make us free to worship him. And one of the reasons that God did that is because God wants us to be in relationship with him, and he wants to be freely worshipped. And church, uh, here's the thing that stood out to me this morning is, I was in my time with God. I just, I felt this desire to say, here's one of the things I'm praying for us as a people. Uh, here's what I prayed for us this morning. I, I want you to feel free to worship God. I mean, I mean like really free. Right? I, I don't know how many of you grew up in church. You've been in church your whole life, but sometimes we can grow up in church and when it talks about worshiping together, there can be this constraint that we feel. Any, anybody know what I'm talking about there? Right, this, this thing, this, and it's not just a constraint of my weak mind or my weak flesh or a bad week. There's like a constraint that we can feel as we gather together as the church. I'm not sure what that is. Oh, I don't know if it's fear or, or what it is. And I, I want to let you know, I, I want you to be free when we gather together to freely and passionately worship Jesus. I, I want you to feel free. 
I'm not, I'm not talking about chaos, people running around barking like dogs. Anybody ever been in any of those environments? Okay, four of us, yeah. No dog barking. I don't want, that's not what I mean when I say free. That's called crazy. Uh, I mean free to, to, to really enjoy it and to really engage in the way that's best suited for where you're at in that moment. Uh, I mean freedom for, from performance, feeling like you have to worry about what the people next to you think. I mean, I mean freedom to fully and honestly engage worshiping God. And if your heart's not there, you're free to say, God, my heart's not here. Do a work. And if your heart is there, you don't feel constrained with almost like you're, you're tied up and you've got to do it just like this in your heart and physically, right? I, um, and I, I'm not sure what causes that. And so I, I want to walk us through a few questions real quick. And I'm going to ask you some questions. I want you to answer me out loud, okay? Okay. Um, do you believe that God is real? Okay, listen, uh, I'm really glad that you believe that. And I'm glad that all of you answered. I was afraid that like two people would not answer. Were you nervous to answer that out loud? Okay, mixed feelings. I heard yes, no, maybe, kind of, sort of. Right? Like well, sometimes there's this fear to say things out loud and to engage. But listen, we believe that God is real. Do you believe that God is great and big and strong? Yeah, right? Like you, and some of you, you may not be there. That's okay. If you don't believe that today, that's okay. We're gathered as a church. You should know that we believe that he's big and he's real and he's strong and he's great. Do you believe he's merciful? Do you believe he's kind? Do you believe he provides for all of our needs? Do you believe that he sent his son to die on the cross for us even while we were still sinners? Do you believe he's coming back and he's going to rule over heaven and earth for all eternity? Listen, here's what I want you to know. I'm going to ask one last thing. Do you believe that he is worthy of worship? Listen, church, I want us to believe that when we gather to worship. I want us to worship like we really believe that. And that means at times you may feel like sitting down and weeping. You may feel like standing up and singing. You may want to lift your hands. You're allowed to do that, and he's worthy of it. You don't have to lift your hands if you don't want to. Like, listen, you're, you're free to worship him, and he's worthy of it. And whatever hindrances you've ever felt, I, I want to encourage you to ask God to help you work through those hurdles. Some of you may have been taught uh, subtly that the way we worship in church is very stiff. And now you're afraid to freely worship because you've been taught that type of thing is wrong. Some of you are constrained because you see this, the group of crazy, you don't want to be lumped in with that. Or some of you are afraid that people will think you're showing off or, or whatever, right? Um, listen, don't, don't be afraid. God didn't give us a spirit of fear. He gave us a spirit of adoption. He, he made us sons and daughters, and God is not going to be upset if you authentically, passionately worship him in spirit and in truth. But to fake it or to heartlessly go through the emotions, that will not make him smile. So church, I want, I want to encourage us. I want us to be praying over this Christmas season that one of the things that God would do in our hearts is that we'd be true, authentic, passionate, and free worshipers of Jesus, especially when we gather together. All right, uh, that's my mini-sermon. Sermon number two for the morning, in case you're wondering, um, is we're going to be jumping back into Matthew chapter one. And, and listen, I, 
I, I love this. I, I love Christmas time. I love all the presents. I, sometimes it's weird. I even love Christmas shopping and standing in line. I, I don't even know how that works. Like, anybody get joy standing in line for Christmas? Okay, there's five of us. You're, you're, my, you're like my Christmas elves out there. Like, I like it. Like, listen, the, like I, there's something about getting a gift for someone and standing in line, even though everyone around you wants to curse at how long the lines are and the parking lots are misery and all that stuff, and COVID is making it a million times worse, but I love Christmas, and I love the Christmas shopping. But, but the reason I love Christmas is not just the gifts and the tinsel and the lights and the holiday cheer. The, the reason I love Christmas is because what Christmas is all about, and, and that's what we're looking at today. It's something powerful. It's something that God did that was strong and shocking and unbelievably, uh, it's just so intentional for me when I think about what God was purposely doing in this moment. And we're gonna jump right into it. So let me read with you our verses for the day. Matthew chapter one, we're gonna start in verse 18. Says this, now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. Here's how it happened. When his mother Mary had been betrothed or engaged, when she'd been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, in other words, before they, they consummated the marriage and moved in together, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, let me, let me just hit pause real quick. In case you don't know, engagement and marriage worked a little bit different back then. And many of you probably know this, but the way things worked back then is when your parents and family would, would help you arrange the marriage. If I wanted to marry a girl, my parents would help get into those negotiations. And when it was all agreed to, when the parents agreed and the kids, the, the son and daughter, both of they wanted to get married, then what would happen is they would be engaged. And once that engagement was a go, once it was the green light, the way you got out of engagement was a divorce. That's shocking, right? Like that's, that's, that's the way you broke the engagement. It wasn't like, hey, here's the ring back. It was an actual divorce. But you weren't actually fully married yet. You were just engaged. And in this time, the husband would go and he would start getting set up. He would make sure they had a place to live, that he had good income, that he could provide for this girl. And so he would get everything set up, probably at his father's house. He would build an addition to the house. And when that was all ready, then whenever he decided and it was done, he would go surprise his new bride and they would bring her back and boom, it'd be this awesome, happy wedding celebration. Uh, so here's Joseph and Mary. Their families have gotten together. They, they are excited about marrying one another. They've all agreed they're going to get married. They're engaged. They're basically married except for they're not actually married and living together yet. And all of a sudden, Joseph finds out that Mary is pregnant. Listen, this is, uh, this is bad news in case you're wondering if you're the engaged guy. If you're Joseph, this is not happy news. It's probably not that she told him she was pregnant. It's probably that she started showing and people are like, hey, Joseph, what's going on, man? Mary's got a belly, <laughs> right? This is like that awkward was like, what do you mean? And Joseph knows one thing. He ain't the dad, right? This is, this is a really rough moment for Joseph. Now, don't think Joseph is 18. Joseph is probably in his 30s and this may sound creepy, but don't think that Mary is in her 20s. She's probably in her, in her teens. So, that's just the time period in, in that day. So here's this teenage girl, and she's pregnant. And here's this guy that she's married to, and he's not the dad. So Joseph has a tough choice in front of him, right? You, you, can, you can feel the tension that's going on here. Verse 19. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man. He was a just man. It's important to note that. And he was unwilling to put her to shame resolved or decided to divorce her quietly. Here, here's Joseph's dilemma. 
He's like, I'm not the dad. And she's, she's cheated on me. And it's kind of obvious at this moment. You don't see him getting in a conversation with Mary. I don't, I'm not sure that he got in a talk with her. I don't really see that going well. I don't know how that exactly would work anyway. It's like, hey, you're pregnant. What's going on? It's like, I didn't do anything. It's like, you're pregnant. Uh, what's going on? I didn't do anything. You're pregnant, what, right? How does that conversation go? It doesn't go well. It doesn't go well with Mary and her parents either. Listen, you're pregnant. Who's the guy? I didn't sleep with anyone. Mary, Mary, baby girl, don't be stupid, <laughs> right? right? There's not a parent in the world that goes, oh, that makes sense. But none. I, I promise you, none of you with a daughter would ever buy that line. You would go, oh, well, sweet, uh, this is great. Let's go have a party and tell everyone. No one's buying it. I'm telling you right now, no one is buying it. And Joseph has this problem. If I marry her, here's what I think is going on. If I marry her, here's what everyone believes. That was my baby. If I marry her right now, they believe that me and Mary were both immoral together. And my reputation will be tarnished. Like I, they're, they're gonna, all the things I've worked hard to be a man of respect, any respect I will have in this ancient Jude, Jewish city, it's gone, man. I'm always gonna be the person that had sex before marriage in this town. It's a small little town. It's a conservative, religious little town. Like it's not like now. Like this is a rough little decision he's making. He's like, if I marry her, I'm basically telling everyone I did this. He's like, man, I don't want to do that. Plus, she cheated on me. I'm not sure I want to be with the girl that cheated on me. And then there's also this. He doesn't want Mary to be publicly humiliated anymore. See that thing? He decided to put her away quietly, to divorce her quietly. Here's what's going on. Like, by the law, Mary basically could be executed for this. She might not have been. That was somewhat rare in first century Judaism, but it was still a possibility. And if Joseph makes this a big enough deal, things get really bad for Mary. And you can see why he'd be tempted to do that, right? She's humiliated him. She's disrespected him. She's cheated on him. Maybe he should be a little bit upset. But he was just, and he wanted to be merciful. And so he, here's the decision. He's like, I don't Listen, it's already going to be hard enough for her. I don't want to make this worse for Mary. I'm just going to quietly, without a big family, I'm just going to divorce her. We're going to end this engagement, and we're going to go on. I, I'm, I'm hoping that she doesn't get wrecked for this. That's, that's Joseph's plan. Listen, when, when you see Joseph, i got to be honest, my first instinct is like, that dude's got some pretty legit character, right? Like, this is a good man. He's saying, man, she cheated on me. Obviously, we got to break up, but... I don't want this to be worse for her, so I'm going to try to make this easier. So, so that's kind of what happens here. He goes on. He's, apparently, he's been thinking about it, and that night he makes up his mind, I'm going to divorce her quietly. Verse 20, God kind of steps in here, and he says this. Verse 20 says this. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Uh, that, that's a fairly, not a normal thing, but this is normal for for this time that God shows up and he's stepping in with a dream and he's going to make sure that Joseph knows that this is from him and he sends this angel. And, and here's what the angel says. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Listen, David, I, 
or Joseph, I, I don't want you to be afraid to marry Mary. That was, should have planned that a little better. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Don't be afraid to do that. Like, like don't be nervous about that. Don't be nervous about your reputation being tarnished. Don't be nervous about all the consequences that are going to happen for you, right? Like, there's a lot for him to be afraid of. What do you think that conversation looks like with his parents? I'm going to marry her. So it's your kid? No, it's, it's not my kid. I had a dream that uh, it's from God. Like, how are mom and dad going to deal with that? How are her parents going to talk to Joseph after that? Took advantage of my daughter? You humiliate her in front of everyone? Like, right? Like, like he, God's saying, don't be afraid to marry her. Don't be afraid of the conversations that are coming your way. Don't be afraid of the difficulty. Don't be afraid of the tarnished reputation. Don't be afraid. And then why? It says this shocking thing here in verse 20. He says this in the last half. He says, uh, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, it'd be really easy to confuse this. Now, most of us here grew up in the United States, so th this is a very normal, you just brush past that. Um, but in the ancient world, that could have sounded a little bit weird at points, like because they had these things about people like Hercules, right? Like Hercules, the story of Hercules, it's all make-believe, is that Zeus comes down and meets a, a human woman, and then they have relations, and she gets pregnant. That is not the Christian Christmas story. It is not that God had relationships with Mary, it's, it's not that. It's not this crazy, weird thing. And I, I have to say that because there's some out there that would believe weird things like that. that that's not the point. That this is really clear that what's happening here is that the Holy Spirit did this unbelievable thing that inside of Mary, she's still a virgin. You find that out two verses later. Inside of Mary, God decided to miraculously create a little baby in her belly without her having sex. He put a baby and it was God himself in that little baby in that belly. Listen, that's... I need that thing to kind of blow your brain for a second, what I just said. We get so used to Christmas with the trees and lights that when I say that God himself became a little baby in a belly, we're just like, yeah, yeah, moving on. Like, hold on, let me, let me just hit pause right here. One of the reasons that God is telling Joseph not to be afraid is because God has put himself inside of Mary's belly. I, I need that to, to sink in for a moment. To think about what God is doing here. You've got the almighty, strong, all-powerful creator and sustainer of the universe. And he's going to be a little baby. A tiny, helpless, weak, needy little baby. If you could write the own story, your, your imaginary story of how the almighty creator God of the universe decides to come to earth, do you pick this as the option? Do you pick a teenage girl in poverty? Is this what you do? If you're God and you're coming to earth, let me, let me tell you how you write the script. You show up with power, right? Lightning and thunder and and flashes and like earthquakes like it's huge it's clear everyone sees you like you touch down and boom atomic explosions everywhere and like I'm here right like it's clear and it's strong and it's powerful and nobody can doubt it and then God what does this tell us about him he chooses to be small tiny helpless 
I say helpless, and I almost can't even say that out loud, but that's what a baby is, right? And I think about that, and I think about the humility of the almighty God. I I say humility because that feels pretty humbling, doesn't it? Like when you're strong to need help, when you're strong to need someone else to feed you, when you're strong and own everything to live in poverty, when you're strong and glorious and amazing and you're born in a barn, laid in a feeding trough for a crib, there's something humble about it, right? Don't lose the awe of this, everyone. I want you to grasp the awe of this. One thing that stood out to me, I don't know if you've ever experienced this type of humility, uh, humbling. Uh, I, when I was 20, I was stupid. I mean, dumber than I am now. And uh, when I was 20 years old, I decided to do something really, really dumb. I decided I wanted to go rock climbing on a rock climbing tower without ropes. I think I've told you all this story. Uh, I fell over 40 feet. That's uh, an awful story. In case you don't know how tall that is, just go to the top of a four-story roof and look down, and that's how far I fell. Um, I fell 40 feet, broke my back, ankle. It was an awful, an awful experience. It's amazing that I'm alive. Don't want to get into all that story. But, but here's one of the things that happened to me when I first broke my back. I was in a hospital for, you could guess I was in the hospital for a little bit of time. Um, and so I'm in this hospital, and uh, I'm 20. I, I turned 21 like two weeks after I broke my back. So, yay! Um, happy, happy 21st birthday. You can't walk. Uh, it was great. So I, I end up in the hospital and one of the things that ended up happening is I was basically completely immobilized in the bed because they couldn't sit me up. They had to wait for a certain mold cast thing to get ready so I could sit up. And I wasn't able to sit up for a long time anyways, because my body was really mad at me. Um, and one of the things that had to happen as a 20, 21 year old man, I'm, I'm even nervous to say this out loud, but uh, there was a point that I would have to go to the bathroom. And I could not do that on my own. I, I needed help. I had to use a bedpan. And for those of you who've never experienced that, it's not pleasant. <laughs> um, and I needed help to clean myself up afterwards from a stranger. Let me, let me tell you how I didn't feel in those moments. I didn't feel proud. I didn't feel strong. I didn't feel amazing. I felt small, frustrated, weak. And I would never do that again if I had the choice. And the Almighty God humbled himself to be a baby that needed someone to do everything for him. Why would he willingly go through all of that? That's the question I'm asking. I mean, God, why, why would you do all of this? Like, I mean, I want to be all of that. This is so confusing to me as I look at this. Like, wh- why in the world would God do all of this? Listen, we get a couple clues in here. The first one is this. Look at verse um, 22 here. It says this. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. It was something God had planned a long time ago, 
And this is prophecy in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 23. He says this. It says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they, can say, they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. I love this because here's what you see. God had this plan all along that he was going to show up to earth as a baby. And the only way that God can show up to earth as a baby that makes sense is if there's a virgin that has the baby. I, now I, went, I went through this. There's a lot of theological reasons why people go through all these things. But I was asking myself the question, why not just show up? Why does it have to be born of a virgin? And here's what stood out in my mind. If God's actually going to come as a baby, the only way that it makes sense is if it's some type of miraculous thing. It, it doesn't make sense for a woman with 15 kids to get pregnant with the 16th and say, this one's God. That, that doesn't explain God. That doesn't make sense. It's not amazing and miraculous. It doesn't make, that just doesn't add, there's no, nothing amazing about that. But for a virgin to get pregnant and have a baby, all of a sudden, if that's really happening, that's a complete game changer. And that makes everyone hit pause and say, wait a second, something's happening here. God is doing something huge and amazing. Who is this child? So, so one of the reasons that God did it this way is because it had to be miraculous and it had to be amazing. And it, I know it was deeply humbling, but it had to be a virgin. It had to be a virgin that had a baby. And I need you to hear this. This was deeply costly to Mary and Joseph as well. There's shame. There's difficulty. There's broken family relationships. There's broken trust between them and their family members. This is not easy for Mary and Joseph. But this was God's plan. And they hear this amazing thing and they're saying, man, I don't know what God is doing here, but he's saying he's, he's coming into this girl's stomach and I, we're just going to go with it, but this is shocking. He, he had to do that way because it was a mark of God showing up, but there's another reason. Verse 21 says this, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, which is the Greek word for Joseph, or not Joseph, yeah, uh, Joshua, I don't know, my brain. Joseph is the, is the father, G Greek word for Joshua. You call his name Jesus, and look at this last part. For he will save his people from their sins. Listen, the, the reason that God is doing this way is because he wanted to be with us and he wanted to save us. Hebrews tells us this, that he became human and he suffered all these things so that he could be a better high priest for you and me. See, see, Jesus wanted to not just show up and show up and be king. He wanted to show up and be our savior. He wanted to save you and me. And he wanted to do it fully and completely at great cost to himself. And he wanted to make sure that he could stand in between us and God and understand exactly what we were going through as weak humans. He didn't want to save us from a distance and say, I'm just going to save you without getting dirty. He said, I want to go there. I want to, I want to experience everything that they're experiencing, all the difficulty, all the weakness, all the frailty, all the fatigue. I want, to, I want to suffer the hardship of it and the hunger and the thirst and the sickness. I'm going to experience all of it. I'm going to watch it. I'm going to be up close and personal as loved ones die and friends suffer. I'm going to see injustice in front of me all the time. And I'm going to experience all of it so that I can understand them better and save them better. Listen, Jesus did this phenomenal thing for us. He came to be a little baby. 
so that he could save us fully and completely. Church, the call today is simple. I want you to be in awe of this God. As, as we go through Christmas, as you're getting Christmas decorations up and, and you're buying Christmas presents and you're enjoying family and whatever it is else you've got going on during this time period, don't miss the awe of a God that would humbly show up here and suffer all that humiliation and all that, that frailty just to save us and understand us better. He wants to be a better high priest for you and me. He wants to be a full savior for you and me. Listen, church, I, I find that amazing, and I want that to cause your hearts to burn in worship. But it, there's one other thing that stands out to me. Not just the greatness of God in this. I, there's something about Joseph that stands out to me. Look at what he does. Verse 24. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. I, we can just rust through those things, but let me tell you what it says, what I see there with Joseph. When God told him to do it, he immediately obeyed. I, I love this. He obeyed no matter how much it was going to cost him. I know I've hit on that a few times, but I want to ask you this question. Um, we see that God's doing great things and that he's, he's doing this prep for saving the world. Joseph obeyed God even when it was deeply costly to him. And I, I kind of want to ask, uh, I'm afraid that some of us like to obey Jesus when it's easy. I almost said easy peasy lemon squeezy. When it, we think obeying Jesus and following, it's all easy, it's all happy. But my question for us is, will you obey Jesus when it's costly? I mean, really costly, like if it actually costs you reputation. Will you obey Jesus if it costs you time? If it costs you sleep? What if it costs you discomfort? What if it costs you relationships or money? Are we willing to obey Jesus even when it costs us? I, I, I have more questions for this that I kind of want to ask a little bit. Like, like if, if you want to worship and know God, let me, can I, do you know what that's going to cost you? Like at some point, you're, you're going to have to spend time in the Word. Like you can go and worship an imaginary view of who God is, but if you want to know who God really is and you want to see him clearly for what he says he is, you know him best by looking at him in the word. And you go to the word and you study and you work and you know, that might cost you time and effort and work to know God deeply. It might cost you sleep because you have to get up early. I wonder if any of us are actually willing to pay the price of losing sleep to get up early and spend time with the almighty creator of the universe. Listen, I think he enables us to obey him. But I think sometimes we just sleep in and do our thing and go about our life and move on as if I'll just find out knowing God some way. I'll come and listen to a sermon. But God calls us individually to know him and pursue him. And it will cost you to pursue God. Maybe it's sleep. Maybe it's effort. I don't know. I'm wondering if you're willing to pay that price to get to know him. Are you willing to obey him when it's costly? Or I know he makes this command that we're supposed to be in deep relationships with one another in the church. You know what that costs you? It costs you time. Listen, you're not going to be in deep relationship with the people around here if you're never together. You're not going to be in deep relationship if you're not going to intentionally try to be together and be together in a certain way. 
Like, let me just be clear. If you just show up to church and then leave and never talk to anybody, I'm telling you right now, you will never be able to obey the command to be in deep relationships with one another. It may cost you wounding. People may hurt you and disappoint you. Listen, you're not going to get to know one another if you're not willing to try to be in groups, whether that's Sunday school or small. And I know COVID's going on right now, but I, I just want to make sure you understand that to be in deep relationship, that means we're going to have to step towards one another with intentionality. It may cost you a meal a week with someone or maybe an evening where you get together in a home to be with other people in the church. It will definitely cost you vulnerability to open up and let them know who you are and discovery of trying to find out who they are and being committed to being in a deep relationship with those around you. I wonder if you're willing to obey Jesus if it costs you that. I wonder, I wonder if you're willing to obey Jesus when it talks about reaching the lost. And he says that we're supposed to be engaging people, our neighbors and coworkers and unsafe family with the gospel. And listen, that's definitely going to be uncomfortable. And it's going to require you to pray and try to figure out how God wants you to engage that. But, but sometimes I think we get paralyzed with whatever it is that kind of calls us in and we just get in our shell and say, I don't want to get into this. I'm curious, are you willing to pay the price of uncomfortable conversations? Are you willing to live with intentionality to see the gospel advance in our city? Listen, it's going to cost you. If anyone's telling you this is cake, it's, it's easy. There's nothing hard about it. They're selling something and it's not true. I'm telling you it's hard and uncomfortable. Some of us need to change the way we live our lives so we can actually rub up next to people who need the gospel. Some of us need to just change the way we're living our lives currently. We're next to unsafe people all the time, but the gospel is nowhere to be found. Listen, I'm curious. I wonder how many of us God is calling to serve overseas as missionaries, but the cost feels too great. Listen, I believe he's calling people everywhere to take the gospel to the ends of the earth to unreached people groups who have little to no gospel access. I wonder if he called you to that, if you would obey or if you would say no. I wonder if he called your kids to that, if you would try to stop it because they would move away from you or if that meant your grandkids move, would you try to fight that because it was too costly? Listen, one of the things I love about Joseph is he sees God do this amazing thing And he simply responds with obedience, and it didn't matter the cost. Church, I I think the two calls for us in this passage are, number one, you worship this unbelievable Savior. You feel loved by him. And number two, we obey even when it's costly. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Right there in your seat, I don't don't know where you're at in the things that God said to you today. But whatever he said to you, I, I want to walk you through a few moments to respond. For, for some of you, he may have, you may have just been caught in awe of this God that would humble himself and be strong and all, do all that to save us. My call to you is, would you just feel loved by him today? Would you worship him right there in your seat and, and praise him for being that wise and strong and just so humble. Would you just worship him right there in your seat? For, for some of you here today, man, you, you've been following Jesus. You've placed your trust in him. 
but there's some obedient stuff that he's been calling you to, and you just haven't done it because it's too costly. Listen, let me, let me just tell you, would you just repent and ask him to forgive you and then ask him to give you the power to actually obey him? Whatever it is he's called you to obey. Maybe it's loving your wife more. Maybe it's loving your husband more. Maybe it's being a better parent. I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's the way you work. It could be a million different things. But whatever he's called you to do, would you just confess if you've been disobeying because it's too much and just obey? For others of you here, uh, maybe you've got obedience down because you grew up in church or maybe you didn't grow up in church and some of this is kind of new for you. Listen, the thing that stood out to you is you felt this call happening in your heart. You felt God saying, but no, you, you don't need to just obey. What you need is you need to place your trust in Jesus. You need to get saved. You need me to do a work in your heart because that's never happened for some of you. Listen, if you're in this room, let me tell you the good news of Jesus. He didn't just come to be a baby and start Christmas. The good news of Jesus, that he came and that he lived a perfect life. And he said this, listen, his goal of living that life was to actually end up dying on a cross. And on that cross, God took all of my brokenness and stubbornness and rebellion and the Bible calls it sin. He took all of mine and all of yours and he paid the full price. The Bible says he came back to life three days later. We believe he literally came back from the dead and he offers us all forgiveness and relationship and a brand new heart and the ability to obey him and please him. He, he promises us a lot. He doesn't say get to work to earn it. He says, all I need you to do is I need you to trust me. Would you just repent of your sin turn away from it, turn to me and ask me to save you. And listen, he, he promises he will. He'll adopt you. He'll make you a son or a daughter, regardless of how bad you've been. Listen, so what some of you need is you need to place your trust in Jesus for the first time. And I want to encourage you, just do that right there in your seat. Heavenly Father, God, there's a lot um, of things about you that are amazing that we don't understand. God, I admit I don't fully understand everything that you did to come and be born and, as a little baby. But we do understand why. And God, I pray you would do a work in us that, that we would feel loved by what you did for us at Christmas that led to the cross. God, I'm praying we feel loved by, all, by how gracious and kind you are to us. God, I'm, I'm praying we'd be a people that would feel awe and how amazing and humble you are and how strong and powerful and at the same time, how much you were willing to give up to love us well. God, I'm praying we'd be those people. And God, for all of us, I'm praying that we'd be people that would obey you, not by our own power. God, I pray we would, we would avoid obeying by our own effort. I'm praying that we would obey because you would enable us and empower us to obey because you give us new hearts. So God, make us those people. And I pray that all in Jesus' name, amen.